I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm not sure where to start today. Um, saints, I'm going to start here. Saints are really Catholic. But let's start there. I, and I'm, I'm very alive to that because of last week's liturgy where we got into the, 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 the process by which the Book of Common Prayer was developed and those great arguments of the Reformation between Protestant and Catholic and the Anglicans kind of just jamming them both together and saying we're kind of Protestant, we're kind of Catholic, and we don't want to even figure it out because it's just too bloody. Um, that's, that's pretty much my summary of last week's um, material. Um, and so as Anglicans, we live in this interesting intellectual space where you have the freedom to lean Catholic or lean Protestant and, and entertain all those arguments of the Reformation as long as you want. Um, and I find myself to this day still entertaining the arguments because I still haven't figured it out. Um, when I was in seminary, of course, as a young man, uh, I was encountering the arguments in a disciplined way the first time. And as young men do, they go, oh, here's what I think. And then you get on with your life. Um, and as I age, these questions keep coming back to me because I now have life experience that reopens them in new ways. And the question of the saints is one of them because when you, when you listen to the readings this morning, it really emphasizes the rewards in which the saints participate. Um, crassly, pie in the sky when you die. And we celebrate the saints because they suffered in this life. They gave their all to their faith and their God and we trust and believe that they are reaping the word of that even now. They are in the kingdom of God in the heavenly places. And, and of course, I can't hear that without hearing all the Protestant critiques of that. Where folks, thinkers like Augustine and Martin Luther, good men, realized in the depths of their soul that they're still not good enough. And at some level, if God were perfectly just, they would still be destined for the other place. And so what they came to, particularly through the pen of Martin Luther, was grace, 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 grace. That no matter if I am imperfect, no matter if I am even a sinner, a real sinner, that God's grace is bigger than my sin. This is the fundamental gift that Christ came to give us. And so we are liberated from the chains of sin and death and we are set free, not through any merit of our own, but by God's magnificent love and kindness and generosity. And so we don't do saints in the Protestant world because it suggests that if you work hard, you work your way in. And that's wrong because getting in is a matter of God's grace, not a matter of your works. And so works and faith and salvation by grace through faith and all those arguments come. Um, and, that, and that made a lot of sense to me. Um, and um, the, the difficulty for me as I age and particularly as I, our world turns darker is that if... For this life only we do the work, then we are most of all to be pitied. And I was less aware of the costs of discipleship when I was in my 20s than I am now in my 50s. I know more about the world. I've experienced more in life. I know good guys don't finish first. I know people who have dedicated their lives to the cause of truth and right and justice and all the things that I admire and respect, and I want to be one of those people. And yet sometimes the cost seems a little much and it would be nice to get a little recognition on this side of the grave once in a while. Right? And, and so, so 
if and, and I in my early earlier sermons, I, I think I for the sake of argument I preached that Hitler got into heaven because God's grace is that big. There's no limit to God's grace. And even the biggest moral monsters that we can imagine are still wrapped up in God's amazing kingdom of God that is going to bring all creation into it. And it's a great sermon. And yet it only it falls off of one side of this tension that continues to live with us. Because if everybody gets the reward, why not be a Hitler? Right? And then you get the cheap grace problem. And that cheap grace problem lives with us. Um, to this day. And so when we celebrate the saints, we are asked to reflect on those, those paragons of faith and virtue, the people that we admire and say, wow, they really did it. They got it right. Um, God gifted them and they said yes, and they accepted the cost. They carried their cross many times to literal torture and death. And they kept the faith, and now we believe they got the reward, and we celebrate them. And at some level, the message is we ought to strive to be like them. Yes, we should. And so each of us, on a lower level, maybe we didn't know anybody that did 16 miracles and qualified for getting on the Pope's list. Um, But each of us here has people who have inspired us in faith, who have been the saints to us. I can list you mine. Um, You'll have yours. There are people that just said... When I grow up, I want to be like them. Not because they're rich, successful, or famous, but they have the the qualities of character that I know in my belly are the reason we exist. And so each of us has a personal pantheon of saints. And we may not pray to them, but we are grateful to God for them. Um, And so they inspire us to this day. And some of them paid a great price for their faith. And if only God would give us the courage, we could do that too. And here's the thing as the world grows dark. I'm, I, I'm also mindful that I'm preaching um, around Remembrance Day. And we have more and more armed conflict. And we have more and more political violence in our contemporary world. It, it is, when I was 16, it was unthinkable that you'd have to make that kind of choice. To stand up for what is true and right and get shot for it. That is very thinkable today. And so the question of will I have the courage, if it comes down to me having to make that kind of choice, can I do it? And so I'm led to that question, like the saints, what am I prepared to die for? And I asked that to a fellow theologian and pastor, and, they, um, I, and I loved their answer because it was a great dodge. The lawyer in me liked it a lot. Um, I, I don't prefer the question, what would I die for? I prefer the question, what do I live for? Uh, sounds great, right? But wow, that, isn't that nice, right? But for me, as I reflect on the, the saints, the beatitudes, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, not on this side of the grave, they won't. And so we, we have to put our imagination a little bit bigger than this earthly life. And at some level, it is eternity. It is where God lives. It is where Jesus lives that true justice, perfection, the kingdom of God is realized um, in its fullness. On this side of the grave, it just ain't. And whatever participation we have as the people of God, and I'm all about a realized eschatology. I've preached that for 30 years, that the, the end times is now. It's just partial. We have one foot in the kingdom of God, even now, and we need to celebrate that as, as Christians. All true. Yet, 
Today I'm thinking about that foot that is not in the kingdom of God yet. And the readings push me in that direction, particularly as I think of people who to this day give their life for what is true and good and right and beautiful. And I want, my heart wants to be, to say I could be one of those people. Um, I don't know if I can, um, because like Augustine and Luther, I know how limited and frail I am. You know, I can say at the same time, I'm a good man and I'm not a good man. I can say both those things at the same time. Sure, you doing business with me, you'd say Chris is a good man. He'll honor his contracts and be decent to you and never knowingly hurt you. And yet I know the depths of my heart how ungood I am. And I think you know the same, not just about me, but you. (laughs) You know, we're all in this boat together is what I'm trying to say. We're all in this boat. And I say to other people about you, you're the best people I know. Because you are. In any normal sense of the word, you are fabulous people, and I would rather spend time with no one than you. You're great. And you and I both know you suck. <laughs> We're in it together. We're all in it. We, you know, you are the saints. I mean, one of my All Saints sermons, my very first sermon I ever preached was, you are the saints. Because, of course, Paul uses that word, the blessed ones, when he addresses all of his letters to the saints in Corinth, to the saints in Ephesus, to those called to be saints in Rome. And he just says, anybody that joins this movement is already blessed, is already a saint. And that's a great sermon, too. And yes, I'm a saint, and I'm messed up, and I'm broken, and I'm in progress, and that's all and so I need, like Martin Luther and Augustine, to say, I need that grace because I'm not, I'm not earning my way into the kingdom. No way. If I'm honest with myself, I haven't made it and I'm not going to. Um, just had a friend of mine, childhood friend, visiting. And we were reflecting on how when we were 35 or 40, we just assumed that as we aged, we'd keep all the good stuff about ourselves and all the bad stuff would go away with age and experience. And now you laugh because... You've realized this before we did. And here we are, 57, looking at each other and saying, I still keep making the same mistakes over and over again. What is wrong with me, right? And welcome to the human race. We're still broken. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm old enough to get so much of the Bible now that I couldn't get before. When Paul says, I, you know, I have this thing that I just can't stop. I know the right thing to do and I just don't do it. I know, I know. And so when I look at the saints, and the thing is, you do a little historical work, the saints weren't perfect either. You look at the great ones and you go, well, they probably were very difficult to live with. Um, uh, They were grouchy. They were sometimes mean to people that they were in argument with. Um, They weren't always great, but they, they received a grace from God and they changed the world and we are grateful for what God did in them. So where I'm getting to is this place of I don't know. And I think my real message is in my own thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get less and less comfortable with the theology of the West. Because I am a Western Christian. And that means I've inherited that Greek philosophical tradition where it's logical and it's got to be A or it's B and it can't be both. And as I age, I say it's got to be both. It's got to be grace and works. It's got to be the kingdom here and now and the kingdom in the future, wherever that is. And it doesn't make sense logically, I know, but I can't just preach one side or the other anymore. I can't choose. 
And so with the saints, I can't choose. Are they just ordinary guys and gals like you and me that God graced with something and so they did something that God did through them, they take no credit for themselves? Or were they prepared to pay a price that I'm still working on? And, and do I need to work a little bit harder to have the courage to stand up for my faith and my values the way they did? Both of those are true. Both of those are true, and so I admire the saints. I wish I were like them. I know I'm not, and I'm going to try harder. Not because I'm, you know, the reward is conditional upon how hard I try, but because it's all part of this package that I can't figure out, but my heart already knows it. My mind doesn't, can't figure it out. I can't solve the problems intellectually and say, that's it, done, problem solved, get on with my life. Can't do it. My life continues to be the mess that it is, figuring it out as we go along. But I'm learning to trust my heart on matters of sainthood and holiness, what holiness looks like. It doesn't look like perfection. It doesn't look like sticking your nose to the grindstone and trying harder and denying your own self, your pleasures. It doesn't look like any of those things. It just looks like this continual commitment to say, where is God today and how can I be a part of whatever it is God's about? It's that simple and it's that hard. And it's simple and hard at the same time and it doesn't make sense and I'm sorry. But it makes sense to my heart. And that's what in my second half of life I'm learning to listen to. Because the brain is very clever, but it doesn't help in all the things. And it certainly doesn't help in this question of what does it mean to follow God with your whole heart? With your, whole, with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. All of those things. Sometimes it doesn't make sense, but there's always a little voice that if you're listening to it, the answer's there. It looks a little bit like this. And so... If I have a conclusion today, it's yet there is a reward. Some of the reward is on this side of the grave. Some is on the next. I am grateful for the saints. I am grateful for the saints on the list. I am grateful for the saints in my life. Probably more for the saints in my life, honestly, if I'm going to be honest with you. The people that made a difference for me. And today I give thanks for them. And if it's all the souls or all the saints, I don't care. Because God is at work God's grace is big, the kingdom is big, and you are a part of it even now. Um, So thank you for being you. And thank you for those who have gone before us, who we remember with fondness, and who continue to inspire us to this day. And thanks be to God, who is working in and through them and through each one of us, even now. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.